Chapter Twenty of the Boy Scouts of Woodcraft Camp by Thornton W. Burgess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty, The Home Trail. Walter stood on the pier at Upper Lake, looking down the long stretch of water. A mist gathered before his eyes and blurred his vision. For the moment, he was alone. His father and Mister Harrison were over by Woodcraft Girl, which was made fast farther down the pier and were talking earnestly with Lewis Woodhull. How beautiful it was, and how hard to leave! What a glorious summer it had been! His thoughts ran back to the morning when he had stood in the same place with Big Jim and felt for the first time the mystery of the great wilderness. Was it possible that it was only eight weeks before? What a lot had happened in that short time! What a tenderfoot he had been! how much he had thought he knew of woodcraft and how little it had been compared with what he knew now and yet even now he had learned little more than the elementary lessons big jim had been right woodcraft never yet was learned out of books and still how much he owed to those same books in the light of the knowledge he obtained from them how much better he had been able to apply the lessons learned from his practical experiences even the big guide had come to see this and had grudgingly admitted that there might be some good in the despised books after all walter stretched his arms out toward the lake and the mountains how oh, i hate to leave it all he said unconsciously speaking aloud same here said hal harrison who had come up behind him unobserved and a few weeks ago i would have given anything i possessed to get away now i can't wait for next summer to come so i can get back here you'll be back of course i don't know i want to seems as if i'd simply got to it's all a matter of whether dad can afford to let me replied walter frankly just then there was a warning toot from the engine attached to the single coach which was to take them over to upper chain to connect with the new york express woodhull came up to say good-bye he, with some of the older boys, would remain in camp for the opening of the hunting season. "'I shall look for you back next year, Upton,' he said, extending his left hand for the scout grip. "'The Delawares need him,' he added as he shook hands with Mr. Upton. Then, turning to Hal with his winning smile, he said, "'Hal, if we didn't have so much regard for Avery, the Delawares would certainly annex you, too.' At Upper Chain there was a half-hour wait and the boys started out for a final look at the sawmill village. Suddenly Walter caught sight of a familiar figure. "'Jim! Ho, oh, you Jim!' he whooped in delight. At the sound the big guide turned and his face lighted with pleasure as he strode over to the boys. "'I was afraid I was going to miss you, son,' he drawled. "'Just got back from the county seat, where I've been to see the last of a friend of yourn, leastwise for some time, I reckon.' red pete exclaimed both boys together the guide grinned you've sure hit the right trail he said pete's on his way to where he won't have to lock the doors to keep folks from taking a look at his shakedown he'll be in a sort of a permanent camp before sundown ten years at hard labor when that picture of your son was sprung on him, he broke down and owned up to a lot more mischief than just the killing of the king of Lonesome. The warden got him that day of the fire on the old Scraggy. When the warden and deputy got to the haunted cabin, they found that Pete wasn't at home. 
So they made themselves comfortable and waited. Long about four o'clock in the afternoon, Pete walked right into their arms and didn't seem none pleased to see him. I had a suspicion that Pete knew something about the fire at Scraggy, and when they charged him with it, he owned up that he had set it to get even with Dr. Miriam for putting the warden on his trail. I reckon, son, that if Pete had knowed what that little picture box of urine was going to do to him, he'd have smashed it plumb to pieces the morning you met up with him and me over thar in the depot. Well, he sniffed the sawdust-scented air, seems to me the air in these woods will smell some sweeter now that he ain't attainin' it no more. When they returned to the railway station, they found another familiar face awaiting them. It was Pat Malone. A broad grin overspread his freckled face as they approached. Walter was delighted. He had seen nothing of Pat for the last week, and it was with real regret that he had left Woodcraft without an opportunity to say goodbye. Pat came forward and rather sheepishly shook hands with Hal. The latter blushed, and then manfully he apologized to the Irish lad for his fault in the fish-buying episode of the summer. The other's eyes twinkled. "'Sure, tis more than myself has learned how to spell honor, I be thinking,' he said. "'Yous can buy no more fish off Bat Malone, but if ye come next summer, tis myself will show you where to catch him. Turning to Walter, he thrust into his hands a pair of snowshoes. "'Will you take these to show New York the latest style in shoes?' he asked hurriedly. "'I made em for you myself, so you remember the boy in the woods you licked. "'But I thought you can't lick now,' he added with a twinkle reappearing in his eyes. "'And say,' he concluded as a heavy express drew into the station, "'I be going to start a scout patrol of the upper chain boys "'that'll make you his hustle for honors when you come back next summer.' The farewells were over. Lolling back in the luxury of a Pullman seat, Walter and Hal were rushing down through the mountains, back to the busy world, a world of brick and stone and steel, of clang and roar, of dust and dirt and smoke, of never-ending struggle, the world to which they had been accustomed, of which they had been a part all their lives, yet now it seemed a very dim and distant world, an unreal world. They sat in silence, gazing out at the darkening forest, each buried in his own thoughts, each vaguely conscious that he was not the same boy who had taken the same iron trail into the wilderness a few short weeks before. That there had been a change, a subtle metamorphosis, for which the mere passage of so brief a space of time could not be accountable. Hal was the first to come out of the reverie. I guess he said slowly and thoughtfully, that I've just begun to learn what life is. They really live it back there. In the seat in front of them, the fathers of the two boys were in earnest conversation, and Mr. Harrison was voicing almost the same thought. I tell you, Upton, that is real, genuine life up there. Miriam's idea is right. It's great. That isn't a camp up there. It's a man-factory. "'Why, look at that boy of mine. "'I sent him up there to get him out of the way "'and keep him out of mischief. "'Sent him up there a helpless infant in all but years. "'Been petted and coddled and toadied to all his life. "'My fault, I admit it. "'And yet less my fault than the fault "'of the unnatural and artificial conditions "'that wealth produces. "'On the impulse of a moment "'I run up there to have a look at him. 
And what do I find? A man, sir. I tell you that never in my life put through a big financial deal with one half of the pride that I watched that boy push his canoe over the line yesterday. And when they told me about the fire exploit of his, I was happier than I'd be if I cornered the market today. I am proud of him, sir, just as you're proud of your boy. You've got to strip a man down bare to know whether he can stand on his own feet or not. He's got to then or go under, and Miriam is showing them how to do it. Now I've been thinking of a plan for next summer for these two youngsters, and perhaps a couple more from the camp, and the expense, you understand, is to be wholly mine. He leaned forward, and for half an hour the two men were absorbed in earnest discussion. Finally Mr. Upton turned to the seat behind. "'Walter,' said he, "'how should you like to spend next summer at Woodcraft?' "'Like it?' cried Walter. "'There's nothing in all the world I'd like so much.' Mr. Upton smiled. "'Unless,' said he, "'you like equally well the plan that Mr. Harrison has just proposed, "'which is a canoe cruise.' "'A canoe cruise?' "'Yes, for you and Hal and one of the older Woodcraft boys, "'and one other if you can get them to go with you. "'How should you like that for the last two or three weeks of your vacation?' "'Hurrah!' shouted Hal, throwing himself at his father and giving him a bear hug. "'That's the bulliest plan you ever made. "'We'll get Lewis Woodhall to go with us, won't we, Walt?' "'The very one I had in mind,' said Mr. Harrison.' The train rushed on through the gathering night. It roared over bridges and rumbled through tunnels. It shrieked at lone crossings and slowed to a jolting halt at busy stations. But unheeding, oblivious to it all, two happy boys sat in the Pullman section and excitedly discussed who should be invited and where they should go when the next summer should bring to them the promised opportunity to launch their canoes on strange waters. End of chapter 20 End of the Boy Scouts of Woodcraft Camp by Thornton W. Burgess Recording by Keith Salas